London has a lot of mythology, folklore and legends attached to it, and sometimes the fact can be hard to separate from fiction. After almost eight years of making Macabre London, quite often people want to tell me their favourite story or fact about the city, and I cannot stress how much I want to hear them. However, many a time I have heard a juicy nugget of an amazing story only to go and look up to find out it is indeed just that, a fable and another untrue urban legend. So today, instead of letting the truth get in the way of a good story, I thought we could explore some of these interesting untrue tales together in a new series where I will periodically take a myth to dissect and so we can learn the legends behind the legends. And today, we're heading to the most famous myth-filled building of them all, the Tower of London, and taking a deep dive into the feathered friends which have protected the land for almost a thousand years. Today on Macabre London, we uncover the myths and legends behind the ravens of the Tower of London. and welcome back to another episode of Macabre London. I'm Nikki Druce, your host with a silent G, and today I'll be taking you on a journey down another of London's grimy backstreets to uncover a macabre tale from the city's past. And today we're heading to arguably the most famous building in the whole of London, and that's the Tower. However, before we get into today's episode, if you're new here and you want to see more videos where we deep dive into some lesser-known historic tales from London's past, and in fact all over the world, then please don't forget to subscribe or follow so you never miss a new episode. If you aren't new here and you regularly enjoy the show and want it to continue, please consider supporting me on Patreon. The link is in the show notes. There's loads of bonus content over there, including my extra podcast every fortnight with my long-suffering of a half called Having a Problem, which is lots of silly fun with a bit of history thrown in too. And there's also lots of other fun spooky bonus bits and bobs as well. So if you sign up to Patreon, you effectively get an episode from me every single week. It's all very reasonably priced and there's literally hours of bonus content over there. So why not take a look on patreon.com forward slash macabre London. I'd love to see you over there. London is a hive of untrue information, but fables and facts mix in a wonderful cocktail to create the law of the land. The many myths which many people spout as fact are, at this point, entwined with the fabric of the city, and it becomes tricky to unravel the threads which have created the legends which span centuries. So today, as part of a new series on my channel, I'm going to take a deep dive into one of the many myths which have become the spoken history of the capital and see if we can just get to the bottom of why they're untrue or to unpick the fact from the fiction. Now, when most people think of London, their first thought is the Tower. The stalwart of the London skyline since 1066, when the White Tower was built by William the Conqueror. 
Over the 900 plus years the tower has been around, it's of course had its fair share of battles, uprisings and been the main hub of defence, playing an enormous role in shaping London's history. With these true stories comes also a healthy amount of untrue ones, and the tower is filled with myths which may just not be 100% true. So let's take a look and see what fables have been created about this historic place and see if we can get to the bottom of them. If you've ever been lucky enough to go to the tower, you'll have spotted the beautiful cheeky ravens which keep guard over the historic building. Now, if you haven't been, let me explain. The Tower of London has resident ravens. These curious corvids live inside the tower's walls and have free range of the outdoor spaces. As you roam around, you may just be lucky enough to find one perched somewhere or wandering around bothering the tourists. These impressively large birds give a delightfully ominous atmosphere to the tower, and when they call, you can't help but think these are the noises that have been authentic to the tower for almost a thousand years. The ravens are as much a part of the fabric of the tower as the crumbling walls themselves, and there's a good reason for this. In the mid-1600s, when Charles II was on the throne, he received a prophecy, no one knows who from, which stated that if the ravens left the tower, the crown and the tower itself would fall. This has meant that since that time, there has always been a minimum of six ravens held at the tower. At that time, when the royal decree was issued that there should always be ravens at the tower, things had got a little out of control. In the 1600s, the tower had hundreds of ravens living in its grounds, and the birds, curious and wise, had become a nuisance for those working there, in particular the astronomer royal John Flamsteed. Flamsteed, who had an observatory within the tower's grounds, approached the king to ask if the ravens could be removed as they were upsetting his work and messing with the observatory and the sensitive equipment inside it. Charles said there was no way that that was happening because he had to keep at least a few ravens at the tower. So instead, he removed Flamsteed, sending him to Greenwich, a few miles down the road where the new Royal Observatory was made and where there were fewer ravens. Charles did acknowledge that perhaps the raven situation had got a little out of control, and so the huge amount of corvids were not culled because killing a raven is incredibly bad luck, but their numbers did begin to be capped perhaps through nest control or deterring them from the tower by not feeding them. This meant the hundreds decreased down to just six remaining birds, and this is how the numbers have stayed since then, with occasional fluctuations when the mating pairs breed. But is there any truth to the prophecy? Well, no. In World War II, all but three of the tower's ravens died by either stress from the bombing or were killed in air raids. This meant that the tower dropped down to just one raven when the breeding pair, Grip and Mabel, disappeared, leading their raven master to believe the pair had flown away for their own safety, leaving Pauline, the last raven there, on her own. 
Despite what was happening in the country at the time, Winston Churchill took it upon himself to make sure the Raven numbers were boosted again and ordered more to arrive so the prophecy didn't have a chance to come true if Pauline also decided to leave. At other times, the Ravens themselves have taken it upon themselves to leave or in some cases have been retired from their position due to bad behaviour and unfortunately, some have been killed by foxes, also another natural resident of the tower. The oldest raven was the unfortunately named Jim Crow, who lived at the tower for 44 years, but others have decided themselves to leave. Munin, so named after the Norse legend of the ravens who belonged to Odin and who flew all over the world spying on people, decided one day that they would leave the tower flying ironically to Greenwich and the Royal Observatory. They were observed looking a little lost and eventually returned to the tower when a vigilant resident spotted that this may have been the missing raven the tower had reported. George, a rather pesky animal, was sacked after he couldn't stop himself from attacking the TV aerials within the tower walls. Now you might wonder why there are TV aerials within the castle grounds from 1066, but there are still a large number of people who live on site. The Beefeaters, as they're colloquially known, but professionally called the Yeoman Warders, live on site to protect the tower at all times. These are soldiers, and despite their interesting outfits making them look cheerily harmless, they are all highly trained. In order to become a yeoman warder, you must have served at least 22 years in the armed forces, hold the long service and good conduct medal, and have reached a certain rank before you can even get to the interview stage. So when one of the ravens at the tower started messing with their downtime by chewing on the aerials of their apartments, they decided he would be removed and sent somewhere he couldn't nibble on the equipment and upset Coronation Street. In fact, as the ravens are official workers of the crown, they have to be officially dismissed from service. As such, George received the following marching orders. On Saturday the 13th of September 1986, Raven George, enlisted 1975, was posted to the Welsh Mountain Zoo. Conduct unsatisfactory, service therefore no longer required. And that's not all of the badly behaved Raven shenanigans. The aptly named Grog decided he would take himself off for an adventure and stopped off for a short while at the Rose and Crown pub in the East End. After this last sighting, Grog never returned, so he must have decided to go elsewhere. Other ravens have known to be incredibly funny. Some have learned how to mimic tourists, laughing and saying hello. One even learned how to play dead, knowing it would elicit a concerned response from the raven master. The first time this happened, the concerned keeper went over and sadly scooped up the body, only to have it spring back into life, peck the raven master and fly off laughing. Ravens are incredibly smart and it's believed when a fellow raven died a few weeks earlier, the creature had observed the hubbub around the deceased bird and decided they wanted the attention too, making it a regular fun joke to add to their repertoire. In the wild, ravens are known to hold funerals for their fallen friends and family where they will stand guard over a corpse. 
Now, the reasons they do this can be easily anthropomorphized by humans, but it may be to gather information about how the animal died so they can avoid the threat, or it could be a way of realigning the group. However, in the case of the aforementioned Tower Raven, they definitely saw an opportunity to make this a lot of fun for themselves. But here seems like a good time to take a flight of fancy and to tell you about another fantastic podcast which I think you're really going to love. The Art of Crime is a history podcast about the unlikely collisions between true crime and the arts. The latest season is titled Queen of Crime, Madame Tussaud and the Chamber of Horrors. The latest season is titled Queen of Crime, Madame Tussaud and the Chamber of Horrors. Now, when I heard this was going to be the title of the series, I was so excited. As you know, I've covered Marie Tussaud in the past, and I think her story is often overlooked despite it being incredibly fascinating. So I know I'm going to love listening to this series as it unfurls. Queen of Crime tells two stories. First, it chronicles Tussaud's long and distinguished career, starting in pre-revolutionary France and ending in Victorian London. Second, it tracks the evolution of the Chamber of Horrors, a showroom in her wax museum that exhibited macabre curiosities, including effigies of notorious criminals. You'll hear how Tussaud won patronage from the French royal family, narrowly escaped the reign of terror, and became one of the most celebrated showwomen in London. You'll also learn about the most divisive assassin of the French Revolution, the last man to be hung, drawn and quartered for high treason in England, and the glamorous murderer who attained notoriety as a modern Lady Macbeth. Subscribe to The Art of Crime wherever you get your podcasts, and I hope you're as excited as me to check this one out. Spring, is that you? Warmer temps mean new Albert styles. Meet the new Superlight Collection. The lightest ever shoes from Allbirds, now in fresh colors. These must-have travel shoes have a lighter-than-air feel and barely-there fit that made them the most packable shoes ever. Plus, they're comfy right out of the box. That means more comfort and less baggage. Experience how Allbirds is redefining comfort. Visit Allbirds.com and use code SUPER24 for a free pair of socks with a purchase of $48 or more. That's A-L-L-B-I-R-D-S dot com, code SUPER24. Now, let's get back to the episode. So, the history of the ravens is fascinating, but new advances are being made in their care every day at the tower, and this is in part due to the knowledge and specialist treatment provided by their caregiver. The current raven master, Chris Scaife, has really lent into the role and has put his all into caring for the birds. He's been the first raven master since the 80s to successfully raise chicks in captivity, and if you look carefully when you visit the tower, you can often see a cage in his window where his latest feathered child will be being looked after. His current unkindness of ravens, that is their group name by the way, I'm not being mean about them, total nine. Jubilee, Harris, Grip, Rocky, Erin, Poppy, Georgie, Edgar and Bramwyn. Edgar and Bramwen are the two newest chicks which are now fully grown and doing very well. The unkindness is fed on a mixed carnivorous diet. In the wild, these scavenging birds would feed upon carcasses, steal eggs and chicks from nests and basically pick at anything they could get their claws on. At the tower, they're fed, all dead of course, mice, chicks, the occasional egg and carnivorous bird biscuits. 
these biscuits for an extra special treat can be soaked in blood. Whose, I don't know, but I would assume whatever is available from the butcher, probably pigs. Chris has been refining his skill to make sure the ravens can almost free fly by using a wing clipping technique which allows them to be able to fly short distances. His most beloved raven, Melina, was the most trusted animal and so she was allowed to free fly outside the boundaries of the tower walls as she would always return, having bonded with Chris. However, unfortunately, poor Merlina went missing in 2021 and after several days, it was assumed she had passed away. No one knows what happened to her, but with a keen fox on the grounds, it could be that she was caught or perhaps she just flew away. But with clipped feathers, longer flight would be tricky and chances are she would have been spotted somewhere resting. I can highly recommend Chris's book if you want to learn more about these amazing creatures and his skill at looking after them. And also follow his social media as it's got a lot of very cute raven videos on it. If you're ever visiting the Tower of London too, his talks are definitely worth a listen. Even the ravens like to stop by and make for a captive audience. So now we've taken a look at the many tales surrounding the Tower's ravens, it's time to loop back around to the myth. The fable of the tower falling with fewer than six ravens might be untrue, but where does it stem from? The initial thought that Charles II coined the myth may have some bearing, but it could well be that this prophecy goes way back to a time even before the tower was built. Celtic folklore states that the king of the Britons, Bran the Blessed, ordered his followers to cut off his head and bury it on the White Hill, this is where the White Tower sits today. Bran wanted his head cut off and buried to act as a talisman to protect Britain from invasion. Now, whether this was the way he died or if this was done after his death isn't clear, but either way, it's a strong, defiant gesture. The modern word for raven in Welsh is bran, and it's thought that paired with the Norse mythology and ancient belief that ravens are all-seeing wise beings, this transcended into protective reassurance that the tower was protected by the king's head, and as such, the ravens were a symbolic gesture, mirroring the same idea. In Roman times, the raven was seen as a good omen in battle, and as such, it makes sense that the tower should keep up the tradition. Ravens featured heavily on coats of arms, particularly those with military roles, and so the symbol was replicated throughout Europe as the Romans invaded. The raven also became a signal of regality and was revered by many Roman emperors. As such, the legacy of the raven would have withstood time and become a symbol that if the ravens left the Tower of London, the civilised and royal status of the city would fall apart. Another theory is that the ravens just happened to be around and then became a symbol of maintaining the loyalty to the crown as they attended the many executions that would happen inside the grounds once the tower had been built. In the 1500s, during the reign of Henry VIII, it's said the ravens may well have been brought in to create a more deathly and sombre atmosphere to the tower and would play a part in the executions. In a few reports from the day, onlookers at Anne Boleyn's execution are said to have observed that even the ravens didn't want to partake in the event and looked on in silence. 
However, when Mary Tudor had the 17-year-old Lady Jane Grey executed for her short stint on the throne as a result of the power-hungry men around her, it said the raven descended on her head, which lay on the platform and began hungrily pecking at her eyes, a symbol that the true power would once again return to the tower. Some theorise that the legend itself was entertained and overblown by the Victorians, an era which was obsessed with death. The macabre raven perched atop the tower was a fantastic symbol of London's legacy of death and decay, and a legend about the tower would only help to secure the myth further. In all actuality, the myth is more than likely a conflab of all of these ideas, truths and fables and has now become part of London's history, whether we like it or not. I personally think it's a great story and a huge plus because I love ravens, so I know if I ever want to see one, all I have to do is take a trip to the tower, but I'll keep a safe distance from their beaks as I quite value my eyesight. episode i hope you enjoyed it and if you have any london myths you'd like me to bust then do please let me know in the comments on youtube or on the case file post for this episode on my social media i'd love to read them all if you enjoyed that episode and you want more of them then you can support me in a variety of ways including signing up to my patreon using the thanks button on youtube heading to my coffee page or checking out my amazon wishlist or buying some merch I also have my PayPal link if you just want to bung me a couple of quid to say thanks and all donations go straight back into making the show. If you head to the support me section in the show notes on the podcast or just click on the video info on YouTube, then everything you need is there. And it's not all about money, sharing the show around on social media, telling your friends, maybe even a beef eater about the show all really helps me out. And thanks so much for spreading the word. Leaving a five-star review is a wonderful help. A comment, a thumbs up, follow, subscribe. It's all more useful than you know and helps the show to grow our lovable gang of ghouls and will allow me in the long run to bring you more of the haunted history we both love on a regular basis. A big thanks to my amazing top-tier legendary executive Patreon producers, Christina, Christoph, Kate, Lisa, Mary, Ravel, Rose, Sally, Sam, Sarah, Terry, V and Veronica, and all of our other patrons too. If you'd also like your name read out by me at the end of every episode or your name in the show notes, then make sure you check out my Patreon where you can also get exclusive episodes like my other show, Having a Problem, which I have with my long-suffering other half. It's a lot of silly fun and I think you'll enjoy it. It starts for as little as just £3 a month for two extra episodes a month, which is a bargain in my opinion, and they're usually over an hour long each time. So I hope to see you over there at patreon.com forward slash London, so I can personally welcome you to the Ghoul Gang. And lastly, thanks very much to The Art of Crime for sponsoring this episode. Make sure you check them out wherever you get your podcasts. Thanks for joining me for another macabre tale from London's past. I've been Nikki Druce. Remember to stay spooky and I'll see you ghouls next time.
We love our pets, but when the floor is covered in fur, that's harder to love. Eufy X10 Pro Omni Robot Vacuum has powerful 8,000 PA suction to make hair vanish from floors in just one pass. Plus, the roller brush has automatic detangling for easy hands-free maintenance. Want to know more? Go to eufy.com, that's E-U-F-Y.com, and discover X10 Pro Omni, the best-in-class all-in-one robot vacuum for only $799.